your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. You're all originals. You've all made America better, a better place, and you've made it seem a better place in the eyes of the people of the world. I'm Ian Wilder. I'm Fiona Hatch. I'm Sarah Nels. I'm Tyler Katzenberger. And I'm Allison Keeley. You're listening to 1050 Bascom, a podcast brought to you by the UW-Madison Political Science Department. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Jones. Um, So we'd like to begin by asking about you and your educational and professional background. Can you maybe walk us through your educational path, starting with your undergraduate major, several graduate certificates and degrees, and your decision to pursue a doctorate in organizational systems? Well, it's so very nice to be with you, and I'm honored to be asked. That first question is a really loaded question because I don't think I took any kind of straight pathway at all towards my education and especially towards the undergraduate degree. Um, I experimented with a lot of majors and I didn't declare a major until, you know, the last moment my sophomore year (laughs) and then double majored because I still couldn't decide. So I um, uh, have a major in geography and then another in social sciences with an emphasis on history. And that's because I obviously loved all of the social sciences and in particular geography, because I've always looked for things that have a lot of um, balance and are very holistic. So I like geography because it was able to focus on both the physical science and the social science of geography. And I graduated at a time when there was a big recession in the state of Wisconsin. And so I didn't, um, I didn't find a job in the geography field right away. I um, interviewed for several and then ultimately decided that I would go back for teaching certification, thinking that if I couldn't find a job in the areas that I loved, I would at least be able to teach. Um, and then never taught geography, <laughs> but I did teach history um, at the same high school that I went to in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, for seven years. And then on a whim, I was looking at a Sunday paper and saw this ad for a community development position with the University of Wisconsin Extension and applied for it and uh, got an interview and got the job. And it was just one, um, you know, one job that I applied for, literally just one job. And then because of that, um, I went for a master's degree in curriculum and instruction because I was a teacher and then really got into community development work and organization development work in Kenosha County where I was working. And I love organization development work and working with nonprofit organizations and um, political um, entities in particular, local government and helping them solve some big problems, whether it be um, funding a capital campaign or uh, putting together a strategic plan or developing county visions or comprehensive plans that were to last 20 some years. And so I got into that and then um, decided to do some PhD work in organization development and systems thinking. And at the time there is only one school in the entire nation that offered a PhD in human and organization systems. So I wanted both organization development and systems thinking and ended up 
at Fielding Graduate University in Santa Barbara. And wow, it's, you know, it just really, as I said, has not been any kind of straightforward path. It's just kind of one passion has led me to another passion has led me to another passion. And now I'm um, focusing that work and working with tribal communities here in the state of Wisconsin. Great. Thank you so much. And it's nice to know as an undergrad that there's not always a path that everybody has from the get-go and we can (laughs) still all end up doing something that we love. So that's nice to hear. Thank you. How has your personal background as a member of the Menominee Nation and all of your education and professional work inspired your role as a tribal nation specialist and liaison at UW-Madison? Well, I think it's influenced absolutely everything in my life. You know, even as an undergrad, I remember one of my uh, senior thesis um, papers was on um, uh, bringing a casino to a non-tribal community and doing an economic impact analysis for that. And then um, when I was getting my master's, first master's degree, I used um, a Native American medicine wheel for putting together a social science curriculum for a new high school that was being developed. And um, then for my PhD, I used a medicine wheel as a way of developing um, planning mechanism for some internal strategic planning processes that were happening with um, UW Extension. And so I think that being Native American has always influenced my work, um, but I do say that, you know, my professional background is in community development, and my academic background is in organization development, but my passion is in working with Native American communities. And I think that what I really um, have always wanted to do was to use the skills and abilities and what I have learned to give back to tribal communities because they've given me so much in my life. You know, it's it's my identity and my culture. And um, I think of um, being Native American as the most important thing about me, not my degrees at all. Yeah, it's really neat that you're able to combine your interests and your identity and your passions and your career um, in like this really unique way where you, you know, it seems like you get to keep learning and taking on new adventures and going with that as you progress. It's just a super interesting combination and story. Um, many of our listeners are not aware of the fact that for 13,500 years, humans have lived in what is now known as Wisconsin. The Menominee and Ho-Chunk nations each have creation stories rooted here. The university now publicly recognizes the distinct cultures, lifeways, and sovereignty of the 12 American Indian nations in Wisconsin today and engages each with the respect accorded to state and federal governments. But that wasn't always the case. Can you talk more about the pathway to acknowledging tribal sovereignty and rights and talk more about the history of tribal relations here at UW? Sure, sure. That's a packed question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're right. Um, Menominee and Ho-Chunk really identify um, Wisconsin and Northeast Wisconsin as part of their origin story. Um, Ho-Chunk say that they've lived in the state for time immemorial, and uh, their origin story takes them to the Green Bay area. And um, similar with Menominee, um, we identified the mouth of the Menominee River as our um, place of origin, and that's the Menominee River kind of forms the boundary between Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula. And 
it's been a long journey with um, the university. We're um, celebrating our um, demi, semi, septicentennial <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> 175 years. And, you know, the university has a really uh, mixed history. I always say that I'm really, it's, I have conflicting feelings. I'm really proud to work for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. It gives me, um, I'm just incredibly proud that my career pathway has led me here. And I also look around campus and I look in particular at some of the mounds and the mounds that are no longer here. And I'm filled with um, kind of remorse and sadness. I see, um, you know, places that we can still see on campus. There's a wonderful vista and viewpoint um, behind Observatory Hall, uh, and that overlooks the lake. And to realize that mounds once occupied that area behind um, Egg Hall was built on a mound, Bascom Hall was built on a mound, North Hall was built on a mound. Um, South Hall was built on a mound, and so the university seemingly was very purposeful about building over mounds. In fact, um, um, the story goes that Bascom Hall, um, the the dome on top of Bascom Hall is directly over the conical mound that was there. And in 2015, um, uh, Dean Paul Robbins from the Nelson Institute um, hosted and brought together a group of leaders from the Native Nations, uh, and it was to commemorate um, uh, a 1915 gathering of leaders from Wisconsin's various tribes. And so that really got the movement and conversation started again. In uh, 2015, um, during that uh, Native Nations summit, Everyone around the table said, we cannot wait another 100 years. We need to um, be much better at having regular gatherings and working together. And the first iteration of the Native Nations UW effort um, stemmed out of that 2015 meeting. And then in um, the years following, 2015, 16, 17, 18, there was a strategic planning process that went on between the Native Nations UW effort and the tribal nations. So there were lots of listening sessions held throughout the state. And out of that um, strategic plan came a call for a uh, um, tribal relations director. And so Aaron Bird Bear was our inaugural tribal relations director, and now Carla Vijou um, has been at the job for, gosh, I guess she's working on a year now, probably. And so relationships have really um, taken off since that time. I think that there's still a lot of work to be done, but uh, there's been good momentum and energy in that direction of tribal consultation and um, many people attended the Ho-Chunk flag raising uh, this past Wednesday in honor of the kickoff for the 175th anniversary and there have been additional flag raisings kind of leading up to that. Kind of going along with that, what is your job like as a tribal relations specialist and liaison 
And what are your goals and objectives in this role and perhaps some challenges that may come along with it? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I'm an organization development specialist. And then um, I asked for my work to really focus on um, tribal nations and working with tribal nations. And I'm also a co-lead for the Native Nations UW effort along with Omar Polar. And I think that what I would like to see for this role is that um, there are good connections between the university and the tribe, and that we are able to connect with um, their work and their needs and what they are currently doing uh, throughout the state and see where there may be some complementary research, you know, so that um, what I would really love is for tribes to lead the way. I think that uh, tribes have so much to offer in terms of indigenous knowledge and uh, cultural teachings, and that often those teachings can be as important or more important than um, what the university um, can offer, um, you know, as the academic way of doing things, and that together they can um, work hand in hand. Um, so that cultural teachings, again, really lead the way. Um, when we talk about um, agriculture in Wisconsin, for instance, we often think that agriculture was introduced to Wisconsin by Europeans. And that we have this um, way of um, uh, tilling the soil and um, specific ways, you know, agriculture, agricultural research stations um, you really look at um, seeds and plantings that are best in Wisconsin soils. But really, we have that 14,000-year history of agriculture here in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, the Menominee, for instance, would have um, planted their garden beds in the forest. So there are ancient remains of these forested um, garden beds. And the same with the Ho-Chunk. They have um, an important um, site in Sauk County, um, the Halbert Creek Garden Beds. And that's an over 300-acre garden bed that would have been a center of economic activity for tribes in the state. And, you know, so we can have a lot to learn from one another, I think. And um, rather than the university saying, hey, we're from the university and we're here to help, um, I would like for the tribes to be able to say, this is what we're working on, and do you have someone who can help us with this? Mm -hmm. And diving more specifically into those partnerships, into those relationships, how does the university engage with tribal nations and Native American communities in the region? And what specific initiatives or projects are in place to support that collaboration and partnership? Well, I've already mentioned the Native Nations UW mm -hmm. initiative, and that has seven different subcommittees ranging from Indigenous student well-being um, to um, uh, land acknowledgement statements to uh, indigenizing the curriculum on campus to indigenous placemaking um, and a proposed indigenous research center. So lots of efforts are underway and I really have to um, pay a lot of respect and kudos to our new chancellor, Chancellor Jennifer Manukin. She uh, really 
in my view, um, walks the talk and um, has been doing a tremendous job of reaching out to tribal communities, working with tribal communities, going out and about and visiting um, the Great Lakes Inter-Tribal Council, for instance. Um, she's made a couple of visits there. And, you know, again, I feel like there, it was a, a you know, a great um, effort when um, the strategic plan outlined a need for a tribal relations director and that tribal relations director was placed in the government relations office. So with the same recognition of uh, federal government relations, state relations, um, business relations afforded that same level of respect because as you mentioned in your first question, sovereignty is completely um, important and um, valid uh, to the university. And um, what sovereignty means is that tribes have the absolute right to govern themselves and are viewed as a nation within a nation status. So I think um, I have a lot of hope for um, university relationships with the tribal nations here in Wisconsin. In what ways does the University of Wisconsin-Madison incorporate Native American perspectives, histories, and or cultures into its academic programs and campus environment? Well, that varies from <laughs> department to department and um, each individual. The university itself, uh, UW system, has a new tribal consultation policy and anybody can Google University of Wisconsin tribal consultation policy and it will um, provide some really great guidelines for um, engaging in research opportunities and institutional review boards and really consulting with tribes on anything that is, um, will have, um, where we'll value input from tribal nations and even in areas where we might not value <laughs> input from tribal nations. So I think that's a great first step that's been um, enacted for about two years now. And uh, then we have that Native Nations UW um, indigenizing the curriculum. Uh, so there have been a couple of different FIGS, uh, first year interest group um, courses that have incorporated uh, cultural teachings. Dan Cornelius does this wonderful class on uh, native um, plantings and gathering and farming. And uh, so in many ways, I think that interest continues to grow. And I hope that we will see uh, more and more opportunities for students to be exposed to Native Nations here in Wisconsin and throughout. We also have uh, seven indigenous languages being offered on campus. And as a, I think, honestly, the highlight of my professional career has been auditing. This is, this is probably sounds funny, but auditing the Menominee language class on campus. Um, and I, I did the homework and I took three semesters of Menominee language. I think I'm um, phased out. I've taken all of the available offerings now, but it was important because the class was um, is taught by um, 
Dan Cornelius, who is from the Menominee Nation, and I look up to him as a mentor, and because he's six foot nine, and <laughs> <laughs> wow. But because of that, I feel more Menominee than I've ever felt in my life. Um, I didn't grow up on the reservation, and um, learning about the language and culture has really connected me to. Um, uh, people on the reservation. So I really value that. So there's a lot going on. And um, I hope that we have more classes and more opportunities for students to engage in um, Native Nation culture. Yeah, speaking of student life, what other resources or support does the university offer to Native American students to ensure their success and well being while they're here pursuing their education? So in Native American culture, and um, just a quick aside, if you haven't checked out Reservation Dogs on Hulu, I would highly recommend it as a snapshot into um, Native American culture. And one of the first things you'll learn is that we love our aunties, that we have extended uh, families and grandparents and our whole family systems and aunties play an important role in Native American culture. They're like second moms, they're um, guardians and protectors, and they've always got your back kind of people. And we have aunties here on campus. And uh, Laura Heaving is the Indigenous Student Service Coordinator, and we, I think of her as the lead auntie, but there are additional aunties that have been identified. And they are... Um, you know, the, there's the um, house where um, people gather and other ways that people gather together. They do really cool things like ribbon skirt making and ribbon shirt making. Right now they have an indigenous um, uh, book club and they're reading the second off offering by um, Angela um, Bully. And... I think that um, when Native students can gather together and support one another with the help of these aunties on campus, that um, they have um, uh, good feelings of being home. Because I think it's tough for Native American students to leave home sometimes because of that extended family system. Sarah and I are both political science students who have both spent significant time in North Hall, where the political science offices are located. And we understand from what you've mentioned previously that North Hall has great significance in the realm of Native American history on our campus. Could you expand a little bit more about the construction of that building and how it relates to Native American studies? Sure. North Hall is the first um, building on campus, and you can look right across the <laughs> way and see South Hall, which is, looks exactly the same, and both buildings were built on mounds. And, you know, I think about the time that those buildings were being built and what was going on in the United States and Indian removal policy at the time. So, um, the conversa conversation quickly expands outside of um, just what the Ho-Chunk experienced. And what the Ho-Chunk experienced was horrific. Um, being continually driven from the land, being driven from the state of Wisconsin, um, forcibly removed, um, and making their journeys back. And we know that this was such an important uh, site 
for the Ho-Chunk people. And we know that because of the mounds and the unique nature of the mounds that um, are here on campus. And so it would seem to me that at that time in our history, uh, the university was doing everything that it could to systematically um, kind of remove or, um, you know, place buildings right on top of mounds, which is sad and shocking. And um, I don't know if I can rationalize it in any other way other than to say that, you know, sometimes when you don't see evidence right in front of you, it's easier to do and to live with what is happening to the landscape. It's a very manufactured landscape. Um, Madison is and um, the university itself. You know, so for instance, we have these old maps that you might see on the cultural landscape tour that show how the isthmus was filled in and what was used to fill in. Um, you have any guesses about what was used to fill in the isthmus? Concrete, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mentioned the um, dividing ridge that made up Park Street, and so there is a lot of um, gravel removed from that area and mounds. Um, and so mounds were um, removed to fill in parts of the isthmus. Um, and there were mounds on State Street. So this, this area had um, hundreds of mounds just in this immediate area. And uh, so uh, North Hall was one of those instances. And I think about those first students, what do you suppose they look like? White male students. White yeah. male students, <laughs> a handful of them. And mm-hmm. the amount of um, privilege, I'll just go ahead and say that, that mm-hmm. they would have had to um, come to the University of Wisconsin at that time. And North Hall was a building that housed everything. It was the administrative office, it was the dorms, it was the classrooms, and um, the cafeteria. <laughs> and there are stories of uh, people shooting right outside of the uh, uh, windows in North Hall um, because wild game was so prevalent. And so the Ho-Chunk people talk about how this land sustained them for thousands of years and that the sea would be dark with clouds of passenger passenger pigeons flying overhead um, because they were so plentiful. And the oak savannas that uh, were here and the relationship between the passenger pigeons and the oak savannas and how, um, you know, we don't, we obviously don't have that anymore. And um, it's been, it's been literally paved over. There's that old song. Um, yeah. <laughs> Pave paradise, put up a parking lot. Yeah, yeah. And it just, you know, it makes me sad. Again, I'm really proud of University of Wisconsin-Madison. And we also have a tendency to tear things down and build new buildings. And I think there are more, um, there's more consideration now than there had been in the past. But for quite a long time in our early history, that's what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Um, so you spoke a bit about Native Nations and some of the programs available to students beforehand. Uh, what are some of the key partnerships that have been established between the university and tribal governments or organizations? And how do those partnerships work? Um, maybe if you could give us a better idea of what government relations looks like, at least from your end. You know, I think a really great guest for you would be Carla Vijou, the <laughs> Tribal Relations Director, because I think she would do a much better job talking about that. But again, the, the Chancellor and Carla and the whole government relations team have done a wonderful job in uh, reaching out to tribal nations throughout Wisconsin and interacting with the Great Lakes Center Tribal Council and um, for events here on campus, um, the Ho-Chunk are routinely consulted and invited to you know, events like the 175th um, kickoff and celebration. Uh, the chancellor had a flag raising for her investiture. And I just have really high hopes with um, with Chancellor Manukin and the government relations team. I just sense a great deal of authenticity for their desire to make things better in the future. How can students at UW-Madison and or researchers interested in tribal affairs get involved in relevant projects or find support for their studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison? So my favorite quote of my entire career, even when I was teaching high school, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think with tribal communities in particular, when because of the long history of broken treaties and broken promises and um, land being taken away and massacres and genocide, that there is a lack of trust for um, institutions and especially institutions of uh, higher ed and education because of the boarding school era. And so what I would always uh, caution faculty, researchers, students in you know, again, don't just send off an email and say, hey, I'm from the university and I'm interested in this grant. Would you be my partner? Because they get a lot of requests like that. And um, I can tell you, for the most part, those emails will go unanswered. It does, And it doesn't matter who you are. You know, Chancellor Minukin could probably send a request to be a research partner, and if there is no relationship built there, that request might go unanswered. So I think that the best approach is to spend time with people, um, to invite people out to coffee um, or to lunch or something like that, and just get to know people and know what their interests and needs are, rather than coming from the perspective of, I would like to research this and I would like to do this in your community and here I, here I am <laughs> offering myself up, but rather to spend time with people and um, form the relationship first. And I think that goes back to what you said about learning from each other rather than just extracting a certain mm -hmm. academic product from somebody. Um, I think that's a really great quote that I'll definitely be thinking about after this interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so there is obviously a long and incredibly rich history here and so much more that we could get into. 
But is there anything that we have not talked about today that you think we should? Oh, it's probably a lot, but (laughs) (laughs) I think in interacting with Native Americans, so if there are um, anybody who's listening to this podcast and if you're interacting with Native American faculty, academic staff or students or, um, you know, just encountering people out in the community to understand or to know um, you know, the, the trauma that has occurred in the past. And I think that all people experience trauma to some extent. And Native Americans certainly have experienced trauma um, from uh, land removal, and I mentioned the boarding school era. Um, every Native American, every Native American has been touched and impacted by the boarding school era. Um, So we talked about North Hall and the privilege that those few white male students had. Um, At the same time, um, we were, had these practices of um, the um, peace pipe ceremony that, you know, was passed from a senior class to a junior class at the very same time where it was illegal to practice culture or speak the language. So we had this massive um, attack on culture and cultural appropriation at the same time where, um, you know, people weren't safe to be Native American. And that whole boarding school environment, my own mother is a product of the boarding school environment. She's... um, just had her 88th birthday, so she's still doing wonderful and very strong. Um, but every time she hears about the bodies that have been found outside of boarding schools, um, or she reads or hears about stories on television in 60 Minutes or the radio, or she reads books, she is re-traumatized. And when she's traumatized, I'm traumatized. Um, it's very painful, and so I think you know, to, with everybody in the world. Um, but I would ask, I have a special request, I suppose, for Native Americans to practice kindness because we never know what people are carrying around with them and the tough journeys that people have been on. And I, you know, I would have, I would have a hope that we're all able to accept people for who they are, not try to change them, and to value... Um, their culture and their ways of knowing. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was very insightful and impactful and a great conclusion to what we've talked about today. I had one brief little clarification question. You mentioned using a Native American medicine wheel in some of your work. And for our listeners and myself who are not familiar with what a Native American medicine wheel is, could you just briefly describe that and what it entails? Sure. Um, In the briefest description, um, many Native American cultures have medicine wheels, and they typically represent the four directions, north, south, east, and west, and they can also have um, other um, pieces of uh, or symbols that go along with um, each component of the medicine wheel. So um, the north is aligned with winter, and the east is spring, 
and the south is summer and the west is autumn but um, the way that I use it is to think of spirit, heart, mind, and body. So spirit is the north and winter and heart, mind, and body kind of follow along. And when in my studies, I was studying the medicine wheel and I was also studying um, the ways that people go about action planning, how they actually are able to um, conceive of an idea and then put a plan in action to achieve that. And it's actually pretty rare. You know, people will develop an action plan or a strategic plan, and two-thirds of them fail. Um, which is, you know, <laughs> when I was studying um, about organization development, made me feel a little hopeless. <laughs> but when I was looking at the medicine wheel, I was like, oh, this is like an action planning framework. Um, but in action planning frameworks, you might focus only on the mind. People like to think about what to do. Um, and the medicine wheel is a much more holistic uh, way of looking at the world and conveys that in order for a positive change to occur, all four components need to be um, addressed and in balance. So spirit are being purpose-driven, heart, um, kind of like a, an emotional um, intelligence assessment, and mind being like strategies or tactics and body being action. And I can talk about this for forever, but that's kind of the gist of it. <laughs> Thank you so much for that explanation. Yeah, usually we like to end with more of a fun question. We and other students, our listeners, are always looking for recommendations for places to eat or grab coffee um, or just new outdoor spaces to explore in the area. What are some of your favorite spaces in and around campus? Um, the grab coffee or food um, portion I will talk about first. And there's this great place called Pasture and Plenty. Mm -hmm. And it's on Highland and um, Old University. So kind of where that, across the street from that Best Western um, there. And they um, have a lot of indigenous partners and there's a new indigenous mural on the outside of the building. And the um, owner, Christy, is a UW grad in, from Community and Environmental Sociology, which is the department that I'm affiliated with. And um, they bring in a lot of indigenous foods, but all local foods. So that's a fantastic place mm -hmm. to kind of um, experiment with some foods that would have been um, um, grown or prepared in an in indigenous kind of way. And then from the cultural landscape tour, I will tell you that my absolute favorite place on campus is that um, place on the east side of um, Observatory Hall and um, looking down over the lake there because there, um, unlike any other place on campus, I can really imagine what it would have been like in the past you know it can look and you don't see very many buildings and i just i just love that and then kind of behind um egg hall and um on the west side of observatory hall there are um a couple of mounds there that are really visible and people can go visit just don't walk on them or picnic on them but go visit them <laughs> That's a good distinction to make for our student listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some great recommendations. 
Thank you so much, Professor Jones, for joining us today and for all of your insights and for answering all of our questions so thoroughly and thoughtfully. Uh, we hope to be hearing from you soon as a friend of the 1050 Baskin podcast now. And <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been so great. Thank you. For more information about 1050 Bascom, visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Adam Wigger and Sam Beisman, produced by Amy Gangle and recorded remotely for now.